yes. I mean, coming off of that worship and then that sermon bump, I mean, he's like, let's go, let's do this, all right? Hey, welcome to First Church. Glad to have everybody here today. He knows what's coming now because we got him first service. You guys may not know this, but this man right here celebrates 25 (laughs) years of service at First Church this week. You guys have a seat real fast. I won't take up too much of your preaching time. <laughs> yeah, I know thanks. you got mad after first service me doing that, but I never preach over, so you know it's yeah. all good. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, Matt and Steph, I can't tell you how much you mean to my family and to this church. You all have been such an encouragement to so many people, and we are so grateful to have you as part of our family and part of our team. And so we are blessed that God sent you here 25 years ago, <laughs> and we hope for many, many more years. And so uh, we have a gift for you guys. You guys already know what it is, but you guys don't. So we're going to bring it on out. And so they'll open it up and show it to you. He was a little nervous first service to open this up. Yeah, I was afraid it was going to be blue. But it's not. Woo! (laughs) Now, there are two OSU t-shirts in here because we want Matt and Steph to wear these because the church is giving them season tickets to OSU football this year. (laughs) So they can go and enjoy. Matt has served this church for the past 25 years in various different roles. He's been a children's minister, a student minister, groups minister, associate minister, executive minister now. He preaches for us. He's done just about everything. And if you show up on any given day of the week, you might even see him changing a light bulb because he does that too. He does everything around here. And Steph is a rock of support. She's great for our ministers' wives, for our ladies here, as well as so many other uh, families that you guys have touched together. So from the bottom of our hearts... Thank you for your years of service here. Can we give it up for Matt and Steph one more time? And I'm going to pray for them, and then we can move on with the sermon. Father, I thank you so much for the Thompson family. Matt and Steph are true servants, and we just lift them up to you. We thank you for their dedication, for their faithfulness, for their loyalty, and Father, for their, for their humility as well. I thank you for their kids, for Brooke and Lauren and Jaden. Father, their entire family has blessed us, and we just pray that you continue to be with them in the years to come. So thank you so much for placing them here at First Church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Appreciate it. Last service, they totally caught me off guard, and uh, it's still hard to, where do we go? So, hey, we're going to watch a video. Watch this. Check us out. I grew up here in Owasso, um, went to several different churches uh, over the years, and uh, 2019 is when we landed here, uh, and we've been here going on four years. 
Me and my wife, Trisha, we have two kids, Luke and Emily, and uh, Luke's in high school, Emily's in junior high. I do a small group and my wife does a small group. This is the second year uh, in the Mexico trip. Last year when I showed up, I remember James said, we are just assistants. We, you know, sit back, you let the students do this. Everybody has talent. And sometimes uh, you don't necessarily know what your own talent is or even the students, but people confiding in them or seeing something in them and say, hey, you're really good at this. And that might spark something in them as they get closer to graduation or where they might be, where they might want to go in the future. We made a commitment early on, this is what we're gonna be able to do, we're gonna be committed with this, and then the rest of this is just be faithful, be committed, get outside your comfort zone, let God work. The Unstoppable Movement, it kinda comes off as a building project. The building project is just what you just have to have to help win souls, but a healthy church is a growing church, and if you're growing, that's that's really good for the kingdom, so it tells you that you're you're winning souls for Christ. That's the main goal. I was, I was uh, I'm so glad that we got to have Jeremy kind of share a little bit about his experience with Mexico, being there for his second year, and then as well as uh, just what he and his family have experienced with their unstoppable journey as part of that commitment that we've all made. And, uh, you know, going down to Mexico is, uh, uh, it, I've seen so many lives change, and it's not just the families we go build for, it's the, the students and the adults that go. And, and uh, as we, I think we discover, every one of us, if we step out of our comfort zones and go to places, go to our neighbors, go, you don't have to go to Mexico to do it, <laughs> just go across the street, um, uh, you find out that uh, um, God is want to do great things through us in, in this world. And uh, we're going to actually talk about that more today. But again, I appreciate Jeremy sharing his story. We would love to hear your story. Yeah, good. Uh, I would, uh, we would love to hear your story as well, all right? Uh, because when we're able to share those stories, that's an encouragement to the body of Christ. As we share, hey, this is what God has done in our life. This is how God has impacted us, and whether it's through, through the unstoppable you know, challenge and initiative that we were a part of, or, or maybe it's uh, just what God's doing in your life as you share. Uh, one of the things I love about our staff, every Monday, this is totally off course, my sermon. So, um, hey, they messed up my sermon already, so it's okay. Um, but, you know, every Monday we get together and we share Yay God stories. And what's cool is um, over time, we spend a lot more time in the yay God part than the prayer request part because there's just so many great things that God is doing. And it's things that we see here, but it's also stories that our staff are sharing of things happening in their own life. And uh, as we do that, that's such an encouragement. And, uh, and so I, I hope, I, I would ask that you'd be willing to share those stories with your church family uh, because it can be such an encouragement to everybody else. And so, uh, you know, you can email us, say, hey, <laughs> you're not going to believe what God did. You know, we'd love to capture that. Not every one of them is going to, we're going to put on a screen, but, but man, we'd love to be able to share as many as we can because our God is awesome and he's doing awesome things in, in this place, but in the world. You don't see that on the news, I know, <laughs> but he is doing amazing things. 
Uh, even in Ukraine and Poland and those places, all right, they don't make the news, but God's at work, all right? And we need to share those stories. And so, again, I, I appreciate Jeremy sharing a little bit today as we kick our time off here together. And, uh, and again, let me just make a comment on 25 years. It has been an incredible journey. Uh, I love this church. I love what God's doing here. And I love every one of you, um, some more than others. But anyway, um, no, it's, it's been awesome. And... Uh, it's a great place to be. All right. Well, hey, let's dive into this. We are in week two of our The GOAT series, the greatest of all time. You all know what that stands for. And uh, last week, Chad kicked us off into this as uh, we looked at the GOAT. We looked at Jesus and as he redefined greatness for us because the world has its definition of greatness, but Jesus uh, laid out, lays out for us a whole different idea of what greatness looks like in this world. And of course, last week, uh, we talked about servanthood, living that life of servanthood that uh, God has called us to. That's the path. To, to greatness. And so all the feedback, most of the feedback we got last week was, this is great, we love this. But we did have a few people that were a little upset because their goat didn't get mentioned. Um, you know, their sport didn't get represented. You know, I heard, you know, from motocross and, and, uh, and then, of course, NASCAR, right? I mean, nothing was said about the goat of NASCAR. And uh, so, and it's somewhat debatable, but many would say Jimmy Johnson, Jim, Jimmy Johnson would be the goat. I mean, if you look at all the accomplishments and wins and everything that he's got, many would put him there. But here, not too long ago, Jimmy Johnson actually came out and said that he would never put himself on the level of the king of NASCAR, Richard Petty. I mean, he had the humility of admitting that, you know, Richard Petty. And he also said, I wouldn't put myself on the level of uh, Dale Earnhardt uh, Sr. You know, he says, hey, these are, I mean, these are the real goats of NASCAR, these guys. And so, so yeah, we, there, there we go. NASCAR people just got represented there. Uh, the other sport that came up was boxing. I mean, we heard people say, well, what about Muhammad Ali? I mean, he was the self-proclaimed goat, right? I'm the greatest of all time. You know? Remember that? Maybe, uh, uh, yeah, you lots of stories surrounding him. But if you look at the numbers, pound for pound, He's probably not the GOAT. I mean, he's a great boxer, but he's not the GOAT. Um, if you look at uh, what, uh, look at the numbers and everything, most would say uh, Floyd Merriweather is probably the GOAT. It's debatable, right? I'm not here to start a fight. Um, but uh, what we do know is this. By definition, there is only one GOAT. Amen. One who is the greatest of all time. No debate about it, and that's Jesus. And he's who we're talking about. He's who we are learning from as we walk through this series. And so, uh, man, I'm so glad that you're here as we dive into this. Now, as we look at Jesus, we look at his ministry. Uh, if you know much about his ministry, you know that uh, almost every time he turned around, he had some people that were in his face, to borrow a boxing term, ready to go toe-to-toe with him in the ring. And those were the religious leaders right? Uh, almost every time he turned around, they were there ready to come against him, to question him, to challenge him, because he was coming in on their territory, right? I mean, they had somewhat established themselves as the greatest ones in their culture, in their time, in their communities, right? They were the, they were the most knowledgeable. They were the most revered among their communities. And then here comes Jesus 
messing it all up. (laughs) And so they would often go toe-to-toe with Jesus, trying to challenge him, trying to put a dent, a ding in his credibility so the crowds wouldn't follow him, and they would follow them once again. But what we see over and over again as they would come against him in the ring is they would swing and they would miss. Call it a missed punch in boxing. When you swing and you miss, you can actually injure yourself pretty severely when you have a missed punch. And uh, that's what we see these guys doing over and over again, these religious leaders as they would come against Jesus. Now, Matthew and Mark, the gospel writers, they, they particularly give almost a, 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 a punch for punch, uh, blow by blow account of these interactions that the religious leaders had with Jesus. And so uh, we're going to look at that final week of Jesus where they like turn it on. They're like, they've, they're trying to give him one last knockout punch, hopefully to, to get rid of him. And so let me just set a little bit of context, what's happening here on Sunday of this week, that's the triumphal entry. Jesus comes into Jerusalem, riding on the back of the donkey, the crowds, you know, gather and chant and and it's a celebration as Jesus enters into Jerusalem on Sunday but then on Monday that's when Jesus goes into the temple and he clears out the temple right they have the money changers all that's happening and and he's like this isn't going to happen in my father's house And, and he clears out the temple because there's all kinds of cheating and things happening at that time and when the when the religious leaders find out, they are not happy. Mark eleven eighteen it says this, the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, heard what Jesus had done in the temple and began looking for a way to kill him. They're serious, right? For they feared him because the whole crowd was, ama- was amazed at his teaching. I mean, they are They're wanting to get rid of him. They're wanting to kill him because of what he has done, coming into their territory, messing things up. And so they begin to devise a plan in this final week of his life to how they can get rid of him. Maybe one give this one more chance. And what's interesting is all these religious leaders, they had been rivals, really, in so many ways. But it almost seems like this week, they put all their differences aside and say, We've got to join forces and bring down Jesus. If we're going to be able to knock him out, we've got to join forces to be able to do this. And so they begin to go after Jesus and try to get rid of him. And so they begin asking him questions, and they start by challenging his authority. Mark eleven twenty eight says, by what authority are you doing these things? That's the first question. By what authority are you coming into this temple and cleansing this temple and doing these healings and teaching what you're teaching and telling people their sins are forgiven. By what authority? Swing. They take that swing at Jesus. But Jesus ducks. (laughs) Verse 29 says, Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Wait, you can't do that. This is our fight. Nope, this is Jesus. This is the goat, all right? Let me ask you a question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. And here's this question. John the, John's baptism. John the Baptist he's talking about. John's baptism. Was it from heaven or from men? Tell me. I love that. I love that. I mean, Jesus is just like, come on. You want to get in the ring with me? You want to go toe-to-toe with me? Let's, let's do this. Tell me. Where's John from? 
And this has them very concerned. It sends them back to the corner of the ring to figure out how are they going to duck that swing and how are they going to swing back. And look at verse 31. It says this. They discussed it among themselves and said, well, if we say from heaven, he will ask, Jesus will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, dot, 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 and then Mark puts it in parentheses, they feared the people for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So if we say, well, he's just another man, then all the people are going to be mad at us. And so this is a lose-lose. How can he do this to us? And so they come up with an incredible answer. Look at verse 33. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. <laughs> well, that's a good one. I mean, that's a swing. No. Jesus said, well, then neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. They go toe-to-toe with Jesus, and they lose again. But Jesus doesn't stop. Jesus goes on at this point, and he tells a parable about a landowner with a vineyard, and he has tenants there at the vineyard, and then, but these tenants are bad tenants. They're not, they're not taking care of things, not paying him, and da, da, da. And you follow it all the way through to where they are kicked out of the vineyard and killed. And, and he, they know he's talking about them. You go to Mark chapter 12, verse 12, and it says, Then they looked for a way to arrest him because they, know, they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Jesus dominated that round as they went toe-to-toe. But they're not finished yet. Next, they, they're going to challenge him with Roman law. If we can just get him to say something against Rome, then Rome will take care of him. We don't have to worry about it. So in verse 13 in Mark 12, it says, Later they, they sent some Pharisees and some Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words because that's worked so well before. Verse 14, Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? That's their question. Okay, And they think, Oh, we got him on this one. Because if he says yes, then the people are going to be mad. And if he says no, then Rome will come and get him. Verse 15, but Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asks, bring bring me a Daenerys and let me look at it. I think think Jesus is rolling his eyes when he says this. Why are you all trying to trap me? This has not worked before. (laughs) But come on, let me give you a little object lesson. Bring me a coin. Let's deal with this. All right, verse 16. They brought the coin, and he asked them, whose portrait is this and whose inscription? And a voice in the back says, Caesar's. And they replied, that's what they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. They're like, no! How did, we, how did he miss that? How did he duck that swing again? It was a missed punch once again. They didn't get him with the Roman law. And so they come after him now with, with just kind of a, let's, let's get into Jewish law. Let's just do kind of a minor Jewish law. And maybe we can get him in some little technicality that'll hack people off and we can turn them against him. And so you go to Mark chapter 12, verse 18. It says, then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, no life after death, came to him with a question. And what's very interesting is it is a question about life after death it's like interesting but their question is about widows they say well there was a hey, hypothetical there was a woman and her husband died she became a widow and by jewish law her husband's brother is supposed to take her as 
his wife so that he could have a son by him and keep his brother's lineage going. But hypothetically, what if that happened seven times? She married seven brothers. So when she gets to heaven, whose wife will she be? Because lawfully, she was married to all seven of them. Great question. (laughs) But Jesus didn't think so. Verse 24, chapter 12 says there, this, Jesus replied, are you not an heir? (laughs) That's a great way to start. You're confused. Because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. That is a direct hit, right? These are the scholars, right? These are the leaders in the community. These are the ones who know are to know the scriptures. And he says, do you not know the scriptures? Are we reading from a different book? (laughs) And Jesus goes on to correct them about marriage and heaven and death and life. And it says this in verse 27. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. Direct hit again. He says, you all, you don't believe in a life after death, but you are so mistaken because our God is a God of the living and we do live beyond this life into the next life into eternity with our Father in heaven. Don't miss that, Sadducees. And so this sends them back to the corner of the ring trying to figure out what are we gonna do now? What are we gonna say now? And the Pharisees are taking notice of this. It says this in verse 34 of Matthew chapter 22. We're gonna skip over to Matthew for a second as they're both telling the same story. And it says this, hearing that Jesus said, silence the Sadducees, literally he gagged them, all right? It's like closing his mouth. You're not gonna talk anymore. After he silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Now the Pharisees are coming up with a plan. Okay, the Sadducees couldn't pull it off. It's our turn again. Let's see what we can come up with. What question can we ask? And so this is what we call inboxing the haymaker, right? This is the time where you take everything you've got in desperation. Literally, it says this as a definition of the haymaker. It is a desperation punch thrown with full force with the intent to knock an opponent out. It's like, "Ah, this is all we got. Ah, Hopefully it lands. And so they come up with a question. And this time, they've asked him about minor Jewish laws. Now we're going for the greatest law. That's the question. Verse 35 of Matthew 22 says this, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him in this question. It's a lawyer, Mark calls him a scribe, but he's the one that they've brought out and said he's the one most likely able to go toe-to-toe with him. And he asked the question, verse 36, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which is the greatest of the commandments? Now, the Jews, they had 613 laws on the books. It was often debated on which were the most important. What did God really expect out of us? And so they think, okay, whatever he says will surely hack off somebody, will offend somebody, and then we can pounce on that and maybe turn the whole crowd against him. And so Jesus responds. Verse 29 of Mark 12, go back to Mark. He says, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so what he begins to share is what we know as the Shema. It's the oldest of the Jewish prayers. If you're familiar with Jewish history, they have a number of prayers that they would 
recite as they would go through their days or as they would go on journeys. And this was the oldest one, the Shema. This we originally find in Deuteronomy chapter 6 after the Israelites have come out of Egypt and, and God's giving them these, these laws and expectations. Okay, now that you're my people and now that you've come out of Egypt and now that you've got a promised land in front of you, let's get a few things straight. Here's what you need to understand. And he begins with this one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, the one the only one. And why is this so important for God's, God's people to understand this? Because they are just coming out of Egypt that is a very polytheistic culture, meaning they had a lot of gods. And many of the Jewish people had began to follow and worship those gods with the Egyptian people. And he says, not anymore. You're my people and I'm your God. And you need to understand that I'm the one true God. And so there in Deuteronomy, if you follow that text, It says in there, pass this on down to your children and their children from generation to generation so that this people will not forget me and who I am. And so little kids from the time they were able to walk were beginning to learn the Shema and for the rest of their life through adulthood they would repeat this prayer twice a day and still do today so that they would not forget the one true God. And so when Jesus says, well, let's start here, let's go back to the Shema, he is in essence looking at the, the lawyer, this most intelligent of, their lead, of the leaders and says, don't you remember what we learned in kindergarten? <laughs> let's go back to the beginning of what God has taught us. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He goes on in verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He says, he is the one true God, and we are to love him with everything we've got, heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're to love him with all of our affection from our heart. We're to love him with all of our life from our soul, even being willing to give up our life for him from all of, with all of our mind, loving him with our intellect as we study his teachings and, and all the things that he guides us through in this life. We're to follow after him with our intellect and with all of our strength, we are to love him with all of our effort as we serve him and as we allow him to use us as his hands and feet in this world to build and advance his kingdom. Love the Lord your God with everything you've got. God calls us, commands us to love him. This would be so different from any of the other gods of Egypt that the Israelites had heard about. None of those gods loved them. They weren't even real. There was just rules. But not our God. Our God desires to be loved because he loves us and he desires to walk in a relationship with us. No other God is like that. And so one might ask the question, well, why, why should we love him? What, what is it about him that would lead us to want to love him, need to love him? And we could start with 1 John four nineteen, where John, there, he says this, we love because he first loved us. He's the one who, who loved us first. He showed us love. 
And he has shown us love over and over again. John 3, 16, that verse that probably every one of us here knows, or most of us do, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish. God loves us. It would only be right that we would reciprocate and we would love him in return. He loved us first. But we can't stop there. He created us in his image. If you remember back in creation, he created everything, and, it was a, and this was good, and this was good, and this was good. And then he created man in, his, in their own image. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In their own image, he created them. And he says, and this was very good. He put his stamp of identity on us. He created us to love us, to be like him. Number three, the next thing is he created this beautiful world that we have to live in. We look at God's word and it says, hey, we, we, God created it all for our enjoyment. <laughs> I love him for it because I love being out in nature. I love being out in the mountains. I love being at the beach. I love seeing all his creation saying, wow, God, you're awesome. I love him for that. But he also, in his creating us, he created us with an ability to choose. He didn't create us like robots and said, you will love me. <laughs> I'm going to program this into your computer, your, your brain. You, you have to love me. No, 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 no. Instead, he allows us to choose whether we want to love him or not. It's called free will. Because he knows, God knows, that true love, real love, is a choice. can't be forced. And so in doing that, he gave us that ability to choose. And we saw from the beginning when God created everything and there was no evil and there was nothing wrong, everything was perfect, and Adam and Eve came on the scene, and what did they have? They had a choice, and they made the choice, and we continue to pay the consequences today. But let's be real, every one of us make the choice. Every one of us has chosen. And there have been times that we've chosen against God, not to love him, not to follow him. That's where Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All means everyone, everybody who's here listening today. We're all sinners, We've all chosen to go against God at times in our life. But at verse 24, you can't leave it out because here's the promise. And are justified. We've got to go back to the all, okay? We're talking about everybody. Everybody has the hope, the chance of being justified freely by his grace through the rede redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Why do we love him? Because he sent his son to pay the price for when we choose to go against him, he says, let me help you back up. Let's start over again. And when we fall on our face again, he's right there because he loves us. And he says, let me help you back up. And let's try again. It's grace. And that's why we love our Jesus. That's why we celebrate him. So that, maybe that's why we are to love him, but how are we to love him? Well, he's already kind of told us that with everything we've got, heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're to love him Loving God kind of looks like obedience. Jesus said that over in John 14, 15, when he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
So this is what love looks like. Obey me. Do what, I, what I've laid out for you because this is the path to the greatest life is following the plan and the guidance that I give you in my word. Live that out and you will have the greatest life. If you love me, obey me. Do what he says. And Jesus set the example for this for us. If we go over to John chapter 8, verse 29, there he says, the goat, Jesus says this, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. That talks about relationship. I am with my father. He hasn't left me. He's walking with me every step of the way while I'm walking on this earth. But then he goes on. He says, for, because I always do what pleases him. There's no separation between me and my father because I am always in union with him and I'm always walking in his ways. He says, that's what we ought to be striving for. Don't allow anything to come between us and him by trying to do life on our own in our own ways, but follow him. So he says, the Lord our God is one. Love him with everything you've got. And then he goes on in verse 39 of Matthew 22. And the second is like it. Now, whoa, <laughs> the Pharisees, whenever they, the lawyer, when he asked the question, he only asked for the, what's the most important, right? I, I just need one. Jesus says, I'm gonna throw a bonus in for you here, all right? Because the second was much like the first one. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All those other 613 laws you have on the books, they all hang on these, literally hinge like a door. They all go back to these two. Love God, love others. And one might ask, and somebody has asked Jesus this question, well, who is my neighbor? I mean, you might recall his response to that question whenever he was asked that, and that was the parable of the Good Samaritan. And at the end of that parable, basically Jesus said, your neighbor is everyone. Everywhere you go, everyone you bump into is your neighbor. And as you see opportunities to love on them and to be the light of Jesus in their life, take that opportunity. Serve them and love them so that they can see Jesus in you. And that's what we're to do. Love God, love others. Now, we've talked about the Mexico trip, and like I said earlier, you don't have to go to Mexico to love your neighbor. Amen. For some, you just need to walk across the street and meet your neighbors because <laughs> you never have. Maybe it's opening your eyes up whenever you go to the store or you go to your kid's team or, or wherever you find yourself and saying, okay, God, maybe praying this prayer. God, show me the opportunities that you're giving me today to love my neighbor and then watch and see and look for those opportunities you can actually love your neighbor right here at first church right with with our growth we've had tremendous growth in in both our services and all of our ministries and, and it's creating what we're calling opportunities however you want to see those and so there's opportunities to love your neighbor right here like this. Park away from the building. We're, how, you know, some of you in this service, you've probably experienced pulling onto the lot and there's no parking spaces, right? <laughs> and so we're asking people just to park away from the building. Park on the grass if you have to. I'm fine. Don't worry about the lawn. We'll, we'll figure that out later. 
But we need to make room for others who are wanting to connect and wanting to find a family and some wanting to find Jesus. Maybe park away from the building. Maybe serve in our guest services where you can be at the front door. And, and here's what happens when, and some of you have been there recently where you go to a church and you are there for the very first time and you can remember very, you know, specifically the, the anxiousness, the anxiety as you're walking up to this building for the first time and there's a lot of strange people and, and there's all the questions, are these going to be a bunch of weirdos in this church? You know, are they going to pass me a snake and then what am I going to do? And you know, all that stuff and it's like, okay, this is going to be crazy. And so people are coming up to the door with these kinds of anxieties and it is so good to have smiling faces at the doors who put them to ease and say, hey, welcome to First Church how can we help you? And give them a tour and be normal. And be nice. (laughs) Yeah, you're one. Anyway. But serve in guest services, greeting at a door, driving a golf cart, working at the cafe, being an usher, lots of opportunities there. Maybe it's, it's holding babies and teaching kids. And we need more people to hold babies and teach kids. <laughs> we actually just told our last service, we need more of you to come to this service with your kids because we have room in this service. This, room, this service is growing, but we, we've got more room for kids in, in this service. And, but that means we're gonna need more people serving and holding kids and teaching kids so they learn about Jesus and mom and dad can sit in here and worship together and maybe sit down together for the first time during a week. Crazy week of babies. We need more people doing that. We've got Easter coming up, and we've got opportunities, uh, of course, with that, with, with hood hunts. We've got opportunity to get out into the community and meet people and find out stories and invite them to be here on Easter as we celebrate. Most people, many people will say yes to an invitation, but you've got to rub shoulders with them, and you can do that at a hood hunt And of course, with Easter services and adding an eight o'clock services, we're trying to staff all of those with greeters and ushers and cafe and all the people that we're gonna need for Easter. And you can love your neighbor by being a part of that. Sign up and serve and be a part of what God's doing here. Jesus told us, if you wanna have a great life, love God and love others. A great life, I'd say it this way, a great life has a foundation of loving God and loving others. I mean, that's the way God laid it out in in Deuteronomy 6. He said, this is the foundation to teach your kids. Start them here. I'm the one true God. Love me and love others. And then grow them from there. If you start with that foundation, and let me tell you, parents, grandparents, our kids need a firm foundation today because there's lots of things in this culture that are going to rock them. You pour that firm foundation in their love for God and their love for others. His truth and his ways. And they pray they stick to it. But that's the path to a great life. Real quick, uh, we've talked about our Mexico trip a little bit, but I want to just share with you a little bit of our story. I got to go with our young adults and serve Graciela. 
that was her name, the, the lady that we got to serve and build a house for. And this is a picture of Graciela. Uh, whenever she, this was at the end, you see the plaque above the door there. And when we build the house, the last, one of the last things we do is one of our team will nail the nail on one side and then she gets up and she nails the nail on the other side. Now she was almost 70 years old and you can see her face. I mean, she just lit up, you know? That was the face that we drove up to, right? She was like, ah, I'm so glad you're here. And, uh, but whenever she started to get up on the chair, we, we all, and you can see the hands down there, uh, ready to catch her. We were all like, get ready to catch her, you know? But like, she just jumped up on the chair, bam, 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 turns around and goes, yeah! You know, we're like, ah! <laughs> we're kind of scared. But she was excited because she got a house. And the next picture is whenever we get to present the keys to her and when she has a Bible, we give her a Bible and there's that smile again. She was so joyous. Now here's what was a little bit different about Graciela. Most of the time, when we go build houses, we go build houses for people who don't know Jesus. The whole plan is we're working with one of the area ministers and they're trying to reach this family and we go, we build this house and it's just a big way to say, Jesus loves you. And then they're able to minister to them, witness to them and hopefully lead them to Christ. Graciela is already a believer. You can see it in her face, right? I mean, she's just so joyous. And then on top of that, we came to love her and we came to serve her, but she, she was a believer. She, she follows Jesus and so she loved us and she served us and on Wednesday she brought us lunch which is a huge deal in that culture for them to be able to for her to be able to have the resources to feed 21 of us and and but she, that's what she wanted to do because she's want to love us she wanted to serve us and then on on Thursday she brought she brought tortilla warmers for all of our our ladies in our team that she had made she wanted just she just wanted to serve and she would want to love them and, and it was just so cool to watch her live out her faith to show that she had a love for Jesus and a love for others. And it was so evident. Let me ask you a question. Is your faith, your love for God, and your love for others evident to the world around you? Do people see it? Do people take notice and go, wow, they're always so ready to help. They're always so ready to serve. Just... Always so accepting. This whole Christian thing isn't really that difficult. I mean, Jesus, the greatest of all time, boils it down to this. Love God, love others. That's simple. Can you live up, up to it? <laughs> Not even a chance. Every one of us are going to fail. Remember that verse, Romans 3.23, we all sin. We all have sin issue. That's why we love Jesus so much. Because he's always there. When we do fail, when we do fall, to lift us back up. Say, so let's try again. That's why we celebrate him. A great life has a foundation of loving God and loving others. Or as we say it here at First Church, love Jesus and love like Jesus. Let's do that. Father in heaven, God, we thank you for the example that we have in Jesus, that you have shown us through him, through your son, how we are 
to live this life, as we walk in relationship with you, as we love you with everything that we have, even that willingness like he had. He, he went even to the cross in obedience to you. When he said, not my will, but your will be done. God, help us to live that kind of a life. Help us to love you with that kind of a love. And God, help us to have a love for others, a desire to reach others with your gospel, with your truth, with your love, that they can know you, and they can love you, and they can have hope that one day they'll be with you forever. God, we do love you. Help us to love you more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.